Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Welcome to the New Heights Sean Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark, and this is Education in the News. So welcome back to another episode. And um, we're covering things that are happening here in the U.S. and around the world as they come in through our organization or that we see and collect for, you know, a very important topic. We should all be concerned about education because it impacts every one of our lives. So let's get right back into it. Um, This first report that I'm going to share with you is from Smart Brief on EdTech, and it's under Top News. Can federal government improve EdTech adoption? School districts rarely share information with other districts about their findings when adopting a new education technology tool. A systematic challenge that affects teaching and learning writes Bart Epstein, President and CEO of EdTech Evidence Exchange. In this commentary, Epstein asserts that the U.S. Department of Education should do more to facilitate distribution of information, as other federal agencies have done. You can look this story up um, under EdSurge, and it was um, written about on 1229 of 21. Also, teachers and districts are at odds over hybrid instruction. The move to hybrid teaching in which teachers simultaneously teach in-person students and those online has drawn criticism from some educators who say it's ineffective and difficult to manage. At some school school districts, officials say they do not want to take the option off the table. Teachers union... I'm sorry, teachers' unions and some say states seek to ban the practice completely. The full story was covered in Politico Mag- Magazine. <clears throat> Let me get you the website in case you want to look it up. It's politico.com. So P 
P-O-L-I-T-I-C-O, and you can look up under the agenda, and then um, I feel half as successful. Teachers push to ban hybrid instruction, but districts want to keep it. I will say at this point, it's not about a want, it's about a need for them. Um, I mean, they don't support compulsory reschooling. Um, and they weren't they weren't doing very well at educating before COVID, so I can just imagine how bad it's gotten since then. It became since then. Uh, also, the Wall Street Journal reports that virtual learning experts help Dallas Cowboys coach online. <clears throat> Sorry, there's a delay when I'm opening things. Uh, the Cowboys wanted to be prepared if COVID-19 forced them to conduct meetings virtually again. They brought in Zoom coaches from a nearby college. Our, um, and there's a whole, I'm not going to read the whole story or anything, but it was published on December 30th, 2021. And, you, and it was written by Andrew Beaton, B-E-A-T-O-N. And the title is What a Science Teacher Taught the Dallas Cowboys About Coaching. And you go to WSJ.com and then run a search for that. And you'll be able to find it and learn more about it if you're interested. And then under Tech and Learning from the same publication, this is TechLearning.com. If you want to look this one up, it says What is Brainsy and How Can It Be Used for Teaching? Tips and tricks. Brainsy collects activities for students to help with the education of math, English, and science concepts. It's a uh, math and reading program. I'm, I'm not familiar with it at all. I don't know if there's any quality to it, um, but you can go to that site and look it up. But it says Brainsy is a platform that lives online and gives students access to fun, educational, interactive games focused on helping improve math, English, and science. This is for students as young as pre-K and run right up to grade 8 as a way to educate simply but not engaging, but in an engaging way on nearly any device. There is a free version and a premium option uh, if you want to look into it. Now, I, I do see here it says, what are the best Brainsy features? It says Brainsy is excellent for math and English with activities helping broken down into Common Core curriculum state standard levels. So right there, that tells you everything you need to know. Um Common Core is not a good thing, and anything that set their standards to it, um, well, I wouldn't be using it personally. But okay, uh, Cardona expectation is for in-person learning. The expectation is that schools will remain open to in-person learning as they return from winter break and surge, amid a surge in coronavirus hospitalizations. Education Secretary McGill Cardona said 
during a Sunday television appearance. The surge has some schools making plans for remote and hybrid learning or enhancing efforts to test students for the virus. The Associated Press, CNN, The Hill, and The Wall Street Journal all covered this story, if you want to look them up. Uh, also, the Washington Post reported that D.C. mandates negative COVID-19 tests to return to in-person learning. And in Michigan, um, they say the title of this is Mental Physical Health Staff Recruited for Michigan Schools. Efforts are underway to hire 562 mental and physical health professionals to work in Michigan schools. The state's most recent budget included $240 million to hire staffers to support students' mental and physical health. The Associated Press picked this up if you'd like to look it up on there. Yeah, and then another report says Omricon sends classes back online at 70 colleges. 70 colleges and universities in 26 states are shifting to online classes as the semester begins. They are monitoring the surging Omicron variant and consider returning to campus at the end of the month if infection numbers drop. The Associated Press reported on this topic as well. Next bit of news I have for you is from Ohio Ed Updates, and it's under state and local news. The Ohio Children's Hospital Association asked K-12 schools to require kids to wear a mask. Cleveland.com reports that executives from state's six children's hospitals sent a letter to Ohio K-12 superintendents, administrators, and school boards on Wednesday asking them to require that students wear masks when they return from the holiday break. The letter was signed by a representative of the Ohio Children's Hospital Association, including the UH Rainbow Babies and Children Hospital and Akron Children's Hospital in Northeast Ohio, as well as other members of the Ohio Hospital Association. The letter notes that in other parts of the county, where Omicron has fast spread, pediatric hospitalizations have spiked. Also from the same report, <clears throat> Cleveland.com again, says parking problems turns into learning opportunity at Cleveland School. Adequate party parking, excuse me, <laughs> adequate parking space has long been an issue at Cleveland Metropolitan School District's Orchard STEM School. But when streets parking turned hazardous, teachers turned the problem into a learning opportunity. Fifth and eighth grade students were tasked with finding a solution to, to add, <coughs> excuse me, add at least 10 parking spaces at the school while preserving the property's garden. Students presented their plans to one another in a competition. The top two plans were then presented to CMSD CEO Eric Gordon, Cleveland City Councilman Carrie McCormick, and others. And Dolly Parton's Imagination Library for Children is instilling excitement in reading for Ohio. 
Steubenville Fox 9 reported that Dolly Parton's Imagination Library for Children has made its way to Ohio, and more than 300,000 children under the age of five in the state are currently enrolled. First Lady Fran DeWine has spearheaded the program in the state. Parton started the Imagination Library in 1995, and today it has spread to five counties and gifts one million free books to children up to age five each month. The governor's version of this for Ohio kicked off in 2019, and the First Lady has spearheaded the project since its inception. Okay, the following reports I'm giving are from Smart Brief on Special Education. And um, this came in to us on January the 3rd, 2022. And um, under Curriculum and Instruction, they report that new center to help Oklahoma students build life skills. Deer Creek Transition Center, now under construction, will help provide students with disabilities the skills needed to move from K to 12 education to independent living. Teacher Nick Petit says that the center, which will have dedicated areas simulating home and work environments, will help provide students hands-on practice with skills. The full story can be found in the Oklahomian, Oklahoma City um, site. Okay, so give me a moment. I have a lot of repeated stories. Okay, the FDA has authorized COVID-19 boosters for, for children 12 to 15 years of age. Pfizer BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine booster has received FDA emergency use authorization for adolescents from age 12 to 15. When asked about booster shots for younger population, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, said the CDC will quickly review any authorization from the FDA. The fourth story was picked up from National Public Radio, USA Today, and CNN. Also reporting screen time may factor in pediatric mental health issues. Research published in JAMA, JAMA Network Open, found that children and youths who have engaged in more screen time during the COVID-19 pan pandemic may be at greater risk for issues with mental health. Researchers noted that the greater exposure to stressful news, online bullying, and detrimental advertising could be contributing factors. The full story was picked up by Helio, and that's H-E-A-L-I-O, if you want to learn more about that. Sorry, switching screens again. Okay, this next, these next reports come from ASCD K-12 Leadership Smart Brief. You can download a free report. It's titled Six Free Tips to Develop Leaders and Meet District Improvement Goals. 
District and school leaders can exceed their school district improvement goals and help accelerate learning by addressing the student equity and access crisis with a vision for high quality instruction, preventing principal burnout and building a distrib distributed leadership succession pipeline, staying aligned to your instructional vision with, with communities of practice, to help support supers and leaders during this unprecedented time in education, Learning Sciences International, which has coached and grown distributed leadership pipelines for years through its four-day Instructional Leadership Institute, is offering this free report that outlines six specific strategies to immediately start promoting a culture of continuous improvement. Uh, let me get you a web address in case you want that free report to download. Okay, you would go to learningsciences.com. And I don't see, I don't see a search feature. But if you um, scroll down, there's other resources. And you may find it in there. Otherwise... There is like a form there that you can download a case study by just giving your name, your first and last name, your uh, work email, and your job function, and then you'll get your free copy if interested. Okay, we're going to need to take a quick commercial break, and I will be right back. Hello, Hello. listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store at new-heights-educational-group.myshopify.com. Hello, welcome back. This is the New Heights Show on Education, and I'm your host, Pamela Clark. And we're going to get right back into it. This is another report from ASCD Smart Brief. And it says that... Sorry, I lost my place. Virtual learning not replacing snow days yet. Despite predictions that virtual learning would end traditional snow days, many school systems throughout Washington, D.C. and the metro area canceled classes Monday because of inclement weather. One district in Alexandria, Virginia, offered virtual instruction but did not cover new content. The story was picked up by the Washington Post, if you want to read the full report. Students create web resource to prevent suicide. Students at South Salem High School in Oregon have developed a guide to help support their classmates, mental health, and prevent suicide. Ryan Marshall, a counselor, says the guide is the number one resource on the school's website. The full story was picked up by Salem Reporter in Oregon, if you are interested. Head impacts in youth football not linked to cognitive issues. 
Researchers found that repetitive head impact sustained during youth football may not be linked to behavior or cognitive issues. The study published in JAMA Network Open kept track of 70 youth football players for four seasons and discovered that even though participants collectively sustained approximately 6,000 head impacts every year, their scores on various intelligence, thinking, and memory tests remained mostly unaffected. The full story was picked up by United Press International. And in Chicago, Chicago Public Schools resumed in-person learning Monday. Now, th this is dated, just so... This was dated 1-3. Um, <clears throat> we received it on January 4th. So, anyway, Chicago Public Schools resumed in-person learning Monday, but the district district's teachers' unions plans to meet today to vote on whether to return so virtual learning Wednesday. The union is seeking to move to virtual instruction because of concerns over safety precautions in schools amid a rise in coronavirus cases and hospitalizations. The Associated Press and the New York Times and CNN all reported on this on January 3rd. And in Massachusetts, schools are seeking more staff or seeing more staff absences due to the virus. Schools in Massachusetts are facing understaffing as some teachers and other staffers contract the coronavirus. As the state teachers union is seeking greater testing and flexibility for remote learning, one high school was forced to close after 58 staff members were unexpectedly absent. The full story can be seen in Commonwealth, one word, magazine online. High schooler decries a mission of women in U.S. history. In Northern Virginia, a high school senior, Michaela Wells, appalled by the lack of women mentioned in the textbook used in an AP U.S. history class, asked 30 students ages 6 to 17 to name historical figures important in the nation's history. Wells writes in the commentary that of the 35 named individuals, only one woman, only one was a woman, and that was Amelia Earhart. And when asked to name any female figure in U.S. history, almost half of the students were unable to name even one. Isn't that super sad? I think that's really sad. Um, the Washington Post reported on this story if you'd like to learn about it, read about it, and um, maybe even watch for updates on the story. <clears throat> okay, these next reports come from Ohio Ed Updates, and um, it's under state and local news. OHA pleads with schools to implement masks. And we I covered this just a little bit ago, um, but this is from Portsmouth Daily Times. As students return to the classroom, the Ohio Hospital Association urges schools to require masks. As the second half of the school year kicks off, the Ohio Hospital Association, which consists of more than 245 hospitals across the state, 
is urging school leaders to implement a mask policy in their districts. On Tuesday, December 28th, the association sent out a letter to school leaders due to the record-breaking rise in COVID-19 cases within the state. Well, I don't understand this. I don't understand the agenda behind it because we all know that the masks that they're talking about, they don't do anything to protect anyone, I mean, especially if they're the cloth mask or the really thin, crappy mask that they kind of hand out at the hospital. They don't protect anybody from anything. So I, I don't understand who's behind this idea and why. Um, but the only thing I'd say about that is follow the money. Why are they saying this, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> In Pike County News, Watchman reported Deborah L. Grooms, a member of the Board of Education from Western Local School District, will serve one-year term on the Ohio School Board Association Legislative Platform Committee. As a, as a representative from the Association of Southeast Region, Grooms is one of five board members from the region who are appointed to serve on the committee. And Fairfield is looking for a superintendent. superintendent. Hillsboro, Ohio, the Hillsboro Times-Gazette reported that the Fairfield Local Board of Education has selected the Southern Ohio Educational Service Center, known as SOESC, to assist with the selection of its superintendent, of its next superintendent. The SOESC has many years <coughs> excuse me, of experience in assisting boards of education with superintendent and treasurer searches. Over the past several years, the SOESC has assisted Blanchester, Clinton Massey, East Clinton, Fairfield, Lynchburg Clay, and Miami Trace Local Schools with their superintendent searches, along with Blanchester, Clinton Massey Local, Hillsborough City Schools with their treasurer searches. And um, Youngstown Business Journal reports that a Brookfield students get hands-on uh, and pre-apprenticeship. For the first time in years, students at Brookfield High School are putting down their notebooks and picking up hammers and circular saws. This year, the school launched a two-year pre-apprenticeship class that introduces students to woodworking. Like a traditional woodshop class, students learn safety fundamentals how to handle and how to how to handle hand and power tools and how to read a project plan what's different is graduates who complete the program earn an industry recognized credential that allows them to enter an apprentice program with carpent with the carpenters union and other participating unions well that sounds like a great idea doesn't it Okay, so now I'm going to another report from Middleweb Smart Brief. And it says, Therapy Animals Offer Benefits for Arkansas Students. Students in some Arkansas school districts receive emotional support 
through interactions with therapy animals. Counselor Katie Jenkins says the therapy animals help support education as well as a student students' well-being, noting that noting that students sometimes find easier to interact with animals than people. The full story was picked up by the Arkansas Democratic Gazette in Little Rock. A teacher gives donated board games to 400 students. A request on social media paid off for Virginia Middle School math teacher Stacy Henney, who posted and asked for board games to give to students, many of whom are learning to speak English or come from low-income families ahead of the winter break. Each of the school's 400 seventh-grade students received a family game. Haney said that in this article, and it explains that many students depend on the school for food and other basics. The Freelance Star in Fredericksburg, Virginia reported on this on January the 2nd. A Georgia, as in Savannah, Georgia, a barrier island serves as middle school classroom. Educator Ben Wells has for years seen how the 45-minute boat ride from Savannah, Georgia to Asabao Island transforms middle schoolers who learn about the site's 5,000-year human and ecosystem history. A barrier island, Asabo, is a state heritage preserve and hub for environmental science that Wells says gives the interactive boost to the school's marine science program and study of sea tur turtles. At One Day University, we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. New on Curiosity Stream. This bear's walking right at me. We'll see if he wants trouble or not. Follow filmmaker Casey Anderson as he gets an unprecedented face-to-face -face look at Alaska's fiercest carnivores on the Tracker's Diary, Bears of Katmai. Plus, why is a tiny island in the Pacific one of America's most crucial outposts? Discover the truth behind this mysterious Trans-Pacific stopover on Extremity's Wake Island. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. The full story was reported in the Savannah Morning News in Georgia. Okay, uh, this is from another smart brief. And okay, it's kind of similar to some of the other stuff I shared. Let me go to a different one. This is from um, I'm sorry, just a moment. Okay, this is from ASCD Smart Brief. 
and it reports that three and a half thousand schools cancel in-person learning due to COVID-19. The more contagious Omicron variant of the coronavirus is challenging schools' plans to offer in-person instruction. With more than 3,500 schools nationwide this week announcing plans to close or shift to virtual learning. 81 schools in Philadelphia are offering online instruction and and Montgomery County, Maryland announces closures at 11 schools where test positivity rates reached at least 5%. The Washington Post, the 74 District Administration and the Associated Press all reported on this. And then uh, educators have ramped up education technology adoption during the coronavirus pandemic. At the momentum, uh, and sorry, and that momentum shows no signs of stopping, experts say. Yet, Dan Carroll, former teacher and founder of Clever, says teachers don't want the big thing, but instead they are looking for tools and platforms that are sustainable and improve teaching and learning. I should have said, says teachers don't want the next big thing. So, let me just see. And in District of Columbia, Public schools have mandated that all teachers, staff, and students provide evidence of a negative coronavirus test before returning to school. The deadline was set for Tuesday, but had to be pushed back after weather and technology issues kept users from assessing tests or uploading their results. The Washington Post reported on this story. And a supply chain issue hampers school milk deliveries. Schools in some Minnesota districts are reporting shortages of popular menu items such as pizza, orange chicken, string cheese, and juice because of supply chain challenges. Some districts say they are limiting milk for elementary schools and encouraging middle and high school students to bring reusable water bottles after receiving about half of their daily regular milk delivery. The full story has been picked up by the Pioneer Press in St. Paul, Minnesota and KSTP-TV in Minneapolis. Okay, and then an update on one of the stories I shared earlier on the Chicago uh, public schools that were closed. Um, they had a that vote that I had mentioned, and that the teachers' union, he um, vote by the teachers' union Tuesday not to report work to work because of safety concerns related to the coronavirus. The union has been pressing for a return to virtual learning during the latest surge, but officials opted to cancel classes today altogether. <clears throat> this was dated one five. <clears throat> And it was picked up by Chicago Tribune and the New York Times. New York City School Chancellor David Banks says he's happy that the return of the classroom went well. With the first day of school attendance citywide after the Christmas, the winter break standing at 67%. He, quote, we feel good about it and that the numbers are solid and that they are going to continue to rise every day, Banks said. 
The full story was picked up by New York One and is titled New York City School Attendance to Improve. Okay, the next report is from Ohio Ed Updates, State and Local Education News. Lakewood City Schools undertaking internal re review of recreation operation, eyeing additional programming. Cleveland.com reports that unlike most communities, recreation in Lakewood involves a unique marriage between City Hall and the Lakewood City Schools. Born out of those discussions, the school district, which oversees programs, community rec recreation programs and education, is currently reviewing its practices in order to better provide residents with greater opportunities. And in Xenia, Dayton Daily News reports that STEAM locals, or I'm sorry, STEAM school plans for drone labs. Mar um, Makerspace S Sports Arena. Xenia soon to open Steam School is planning $10 million road renovation of the old YMCA building in the East Church Street to include drone and robotics lab, a rock climbing gym, a makerspace, an S Sports Arena, or ES Sports Arena, excuse me. The project includes $4 million in renovations and a $6 million, 24,000 square foot expansion. STEAM refers to the often grouped school disciplines of science, technology, engineering, and math by adding the arts. And Youngstown NBC 21 reported that MCCTC student selected as a presidential scholar nominee. A student at the Mahoning County Career and Technical Center, MCCTC, is one of five student presidential scholar nominees, career tech education component in Ohio. West Branch senior Isabella Baird is one of five nominees in the state of Ohio. Baird is a senior in the public safety program at MCCTC. She's not only graduating from this prestigious program with a 3.9 GPA, she's determined to continue this career path to serve others. And in Holmes County, the Wooster Daily Record reports that community remembers a musician and band leader, Mike Pecula. Long before they worked together as a band director and assistant band director at West Holmes High School, Brian Dodd and Mike Pecula were friends and colleagues. They knew each other as educators roughly 30 years ago when Pecula was at East Holmes and Dodd worked at East Knox and became friends over, the, over a more than 20-year span as the duo leading the band program at West Holmes. Okay, the next reports I have is from ASCD K-12 Leadership Smart Briefs. School leaders discuss priorities for 2022. 
Jeff McKelkey, principal of Wyoming High School, says he plans to emphasize positivity and flexibility this year to encourage students to come to school. Other leaders, such as Chicago Middle School Principal Raul Gaston and Illinois Principals Association President Marcus Boleyn, says they are reducing teacher responsibilities, focusing on students' social and emotional needs, and homing in on the most important academic standards. The full story can be found in District Administration. And grants help accelerate learning in some California schools. Some elementary schools in California are using grants to help accelerate learning as some students continue to struggle after the return to in-person instruction. Sulphur Springs Union School District is implementing the multi-sensory Orton-Gillingham approach that focuses on phonics and early literacy learning while also hiring learning support teachers who specialize in tiered interventions to meet the needs of students. The full story was picked up by The Signal in Santa Clarita Valley, California, if you'd like to look it up. And in Iowa High Schools, opening a health, health science program classroom and certified nursing assistant lab to help prepare students for health-related careers. Students who complete the CNA program can take an exam for state certification, following them to work in hospitals, doctors' offices, senior living facilities, and other settings. The full story was picked up by KLJB-TV in Davensport, Iowa, and is titled High School Expands Healthcare Pathways. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Hello, welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark. Let's get right back into it. We're talking about, or I'm sharing stories, educational stories um, across the nation and the world. Advocates uh, renew push for student debt forgiveness. Advocates for student loan forgiveness are pushing the Biden administration to act after it granted a fifth extension of a moratorium. Mar- moratorium on student loan payments in December because of the continued effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. The administration has asked the Department of Education and Justice to review whether a federal student loan forgiveness program would be legal without approval from Congress. The full story is being covered by CNBC. Okay, 
kid. I have some more from Smart Brief on Special Education. A teacher-run company offers accessible job training. Able Coffee Roasters, a company founded by special education teacher Anthony Palmieri and behavioral specialist Adil Asaf, helps students and adults with disabilities gain work and life skills through a visual training model that incorporates symbols and video to accommodate a range of abilities. The company has been so successful that it is preparing to open a second location near California State University's Fullerton campus, Palmera says. The full story is being covered by the Los Angeles Times. Also, there's a, a bill that calls for accommodations for college students. Colorado, sorry, Colorado lawmakers are considering a bill that would offer support and accommodations for college students with disabilities. The bill would require students to track enrollment, graduation, and accommodations data for students with disabilities. The full story is being covered by Chalkbeat in Colorado. The next stories I have is from Homeschool Legal Defense Administration. Now, here's one um, that's going to cover British. Uh, let's see, it says record growth and legal setbacks. A British homeschooling meets new opposition. Just a moment. Homeschooling has experienced unpre unprecedented growth in England as more parents discover how the benefits of home education can help students thrive. But a recent court case may make it more difficult for families to craft education plans suited to their children's individual needs and interests without first consulting local officials who are often unfamiliar with homeschooling methods and its flexibility. According to The Guardian, a new survey by the Association of Directors of Children's Services, ADCS, revealed a record of 115,542 children were homeschooled in England during the 2020-2021 academic year. That's a 34% increase on 2019-2020 totals. The newspaper added this year's total marks the biggest year-on-year -year increase since the survey began six years ago. However, the burgeoning homeschool community was taken back when England's High Court issued a ruling in November that marked a potential mayor expansion and how much authority local governments are presumed to have for regulating and inspecting homeschooling. Homeschoolers shocked by the ruling the finding in Goodred versus Portsmouth City Council grants local officials more power to monitor homeschool families. This power could include having officials visit families' homes or possibly ordering parents to stop homeschooling and enroll their children in school. 
Home educators are naturally shocked and concerned about what this means for them, said UK homeschool parent Juliet English as she discussed the case and implications on a recent podcast with Mike Donnelly from the Homeschool Legal Defense um, Administration. He's the director of Global Outreach. Randall Hardy, another podcast guest who homeschooled his own children in the UK and now has grandchildren are being homeschooled, agreed. Everybody's devastated, he said. Juliet and Randall explained that this change is disheartening because of who it harms the most, the students, who benefit from the flexible and customizable nature of homeschooling. This is a quote. We've got so much evidence to show that children learn better in these environments, said Juliet. She added that research shows homeschooling boosts development by providing students more time to engage in two critical activities, imaginative play and being outside of the classroom in the real world. Randall pointed out that the increased restrictions could also make it harder for parents to remove their children from traditional schools to help them cope with additional challenges such as special needs, bullying, or even trauma brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. Homeschooling works for these families, said Randall. Because of its personalized learning, they find it suits their children for the better. Julia concurred, and quote, the children stand to lose out hugely if the local authority decides the parent isn't doing enough, she said. The facts of the case are fairly straightforward, as Donnelly pointed out. So after the city's authorities in Portsmouth told Christina Goodred they needed more information about how she was homeschooling her three children, she complied a written report or compiled a written report, which was similar to what she had submitted to previous years. Council staff then requested actual samples of Goodrich's children's schoolwork or in-person meetings. At One Day University, we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. Christina refused, arguing that English law only requires parents to either send their children to school or make arrangements to otherwise educate them. It says nothing about what sort of documentation is due to local officials. After months of back and forth, Christina requested judicial review in the high court, which eventually ruled entirely in the favor of the council. An issue of trust. Lizzie Troughton, an attorney for Alliance Defending Freedom in London, who was also on Mike Donnelly's podcast, described how the ruling's outcome could mean major changes for homeschooling families. Quote, it, the ruling, essentially says there is a lot of discretion for local councils and also says it's not unreasonable for this council to have asked for specific samples and specific proof of progress, Lizzie said. She added that local officials may become more aggressive 
in the way they scrutinize homeschool families. Juliet agreed, quote, we are seeing an undermining of the primacy, primacy, excuse me, of parents in deciding how their children are educated and raised, she said. Nevertheless, Juliet and Randall said they refused to lose heart. More than ever, said Randall, he intends to spread the message that it's going to be up to you as your sons and daughters' parents to stand for their futures. You can, can't can really rely on anyone else doing it for you. <clears throat> so what do you think of that? Do you think it's unfair? Um, what is your opinion on that? We And just so you know, we are going to share this on social media and it will probably be in an upcoming magazine of ours as well. moment so the next uh, bit of information I have for you is actually from something called theconversation.com and it's titled Federal Role in Education Has a Long History and it's a rather old article that I came across I thought it was kind of interesting I thought I'd share it with you it says uh, President Donald Trump has directed the United States Department of Education to evaluate whether the federal government has overstepped its legal authority in the field of education. This is not a new issue in American politics. Ever since the Department of Education became a cabinet-level agency in 1979, opposition to federalized education has been popu a popular rallying cry among the conservatives. Ronald Reagan advocated to dismantle the department while campaigning for his presidency, and many others since then have called for more power to be put back into the state's hands when it comes to educational policy. In February of this year, legislation was introduced to eliminate the Department of Education entirely. So what is the role of the state versus the federal government in the world of K-12 education? As a researcher of education policy and politics, I've seen that people are divided on the role that the federal government should play in K-12 education, a role that has changed over the course of history. So growth in public education and states. The 10th Amendment of the, to the United States states, quote, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people." End of quote. This leaves the power to create schools and a system for education in the hands of individual states, rather than the central national government. Today, all 50 states providing public schooling to their young people with 50 approaches to education within the borders of the nation. Public schooling on a state level began in 1790, 
when Pennsylvania became the first state to require free education. This service was extended only to poor families, assuming that wealthy families could afford to pay their own education for their own education. New York followed suit in 1805, and in 1820, Massachusetts was the first state to have a tuition-free high school for all, and also the first to require compulsory education. By the late 1800s, public education had spread to most states, and a movement often referred to as the common school movement. After World War I, the urban population swelled, and vocational education and secondary education became part of the American landscape. By 1930, every state had some sort of compulsory education law. This led to increased control of schools by cities and states. Federal Rule in Education As for the federal government's role, education is not specifically addressed in the Constitution, but a historical precedent of central government involvement does exist. In 1787, the Continental Congress, the central government of the United States between 1776 and 1787, passed the Northwest Ordinance, which became the governing document for Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, and part of Minnesota. The ordinance included a provision encouraging the creation of schools as a key component of good government and happiness for mankind. Just two years earlier, the Land Ordinance of 1785 required land to be reserved in townships for the building of schools. The role of the federal government in general grew much larger after the Great Depression and World War II but this growth largely excluded K-12 education until the 1960s. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson included education policy in his vision of a great society. Elementary and Secondary Education Act In 1965, President Johnson signed the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, known as ESEA, into law. This law decidedly changed the role of the federal government in the world of K-12 education. ESEA doubled the amount of federal expenditures for K-12 education, and it worked to change the relationship between the states and central government in the education arena. Called for equal treatment of students no matter where they reside and attempted to improve reading and math competency for children in poverty. The ESEA was passed with the intention of bridging a clear gap between children in poverty and those from privilege. Title I of the ESEA, which is still referred to, referenced infrequently in K-12 education policy, is the major provision of the bill, which distributed federal funding to districts with low-income families. ESEA today is still the law of the United States. However, the law has required periodic reauthorization, which has led to significant changes since 1965. One of the most well-known reauthorizations was President George W. Bush's No Child Left Behind, known as NCLB Act of 2001. The NCLB called for 100% proficiency in math and reading scores nationwide by 2014 and expanded the rule 
of standardized testing to measure student achievement. Under President Barack Obama, the race to the top was established, requiring states to compete for federal grants through a point system, which was rewarded certain educational policies and achievements. This resulted in nationwide challenges and ways teachers were evaluated and placed even more emphasis on test results. In 2015, Obama signed the Every Student Succeed Act, Succeeds Act, um, known as ESSA, into law. This is the latest reauthorization of ESEA and returns some federal power over education back to states, including evaluation measures and teacher quality standards. And the debate continues. Since the 1980s, a growing trend in the field of K-12 education has been the growth of school choice and charter schools. Every state has its own po policy regarding these issues, but during the presidential campaign of 2016, President Trump assured that his administration would provide federal money to help students attend a school of their choice. Secretary of Education at the time, Betsy DeVos, has dedicated her career to the cause of school choice. On September, or I'm sorry, on April 26th, President Trump signed the Education Federalism Executive Order, which requires the United States Department of Education to spend 300 days evaluating the role of the federal government in education. The purpose of the order is to determine whether the, where the federal government has unlawfully overstepped state and local control. This comes on the back of a proposed 13.5% cut to the national education budget. It's not yet known what the results of the study might include, but in my opinion, it may impact ESEA and the current funding structure that has been normed for 50 years, dramatically impacting funding for students in poverty and with special needs. Now, again, this was written by somebody else. Um, and um, let's see if I can get you a name. Dustin Hornbeck wrote this. Like I said, it's an older um, account of our history, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Of course, nobody has done better at explaining our history than John Taylor Gatto. You can watch some of his videos on our Learning Annex, and uh, some of his books are listed on our recommended book pages, so you can check that out as well. We will share this on social media, probably in an upcoming magazine, just so you guys can see a hard print of it. But um, I think it's pretty interesting. I hope you've enjoyed that. But alrighty, we're at our hour. I hate to say goodbye um, until next time, like I always say. Um, I want to remind everybody that on Fridays, Olin Yet Tibet does a show um, that on a topics that affect youth and very soon we're going to have a, a new show on civil rights issues and the history of that so keep checking the new Heights show on education website and we look forward to sharing a start date soon for that show until next time We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. 
Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.